Bonjour, ici Sas Kakadi de Regina en Saskatchewan au Canada. Vous écoutez au Balado Podcaster. Hi, this is Sas Kakadi from Regina in Saskatchewan, Canada. You are listening to the Podcaster Podcast. This show is sponsored by cash-advance.com. Cash Advance is your geocaching hub for all of your caching needs, including the Cash Crate, a monthly subscription box of geocaching and outdoor gear. This is the Podcaster Podcast. The podcast all about geocaching. We consistently deliver high-quality, family-friendly shows that are informative, inspirational, and entertaining. Welcome to the show. Sunny. And I'm Sandy. From sunny San Diego, California. Welcome to Podcaster. This show is packed with geocaching goodness, news, tips and tricks, and tools of the trade. Also, interviews, geocaching events, and stories from around the world. You can find show notes with links mentioned on the show and a lot more geocaching goodies at podcaster.com. So, with that, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another Podcaster Podcast. We are glad you're here with us for show 724 for August 24, 2020. And hopefully you're having a cooler weekend or week than we've had for the last week. It has been very warm out here in San Diego. And all of the West Coast, I think, has been having a heat wave. Yeah. And it's been kind of crazy, so we, we always like to head to the coast near the water for some cool weather. Yeah, and get, just in case you're, you think we're exaggerating, the entire West Coast has been hit by a, a pretty significant heat wave, maybe even regardless of where you are in the country, you might have heard of it. Uh, apparently, in Death Valley, it reached 130 degrees. I apologize. I'm, I'm not sure what 130 Oh, 130 is. Fahrenheit. Yeah. 130 degrees It was a record. It was a record. Yeah. Well, apparently, the world record also was in Death Valley. It was 134 many, many years ago. But they're not sure if that was an accurate measurement. But they are pretty, pretty sh- certain that 130 degrees in Death Valley. Now, I've been to Death Valley before, and it was, you know, maybe in the hundreds, and that is a just bake, like a kiln. It yes. is so hot out there. Crazy. Wasn't quite as bad out here in San Diego, but we did need to head to the coast for a little bit of cooler weather than being inland. We went out for a, a picnic lunch, which was nice, a nice breezy area, and we, we threw a frisbee around while Sela uh, ran around as well. Yeah, and we found a geocache. A lot of times we go back to places we've been a lot, so there isn't always new geocaches. But this one had one we had never found. So we were able to get another one of the wonders of the world. Yeah. Little badges. Yeah. And did some scooter and skateboard riding. Scooter, skateboard riding. And Sayla, at first, was, you know, the peppy puppy and running around. But after a while, she just kind of ran out of steam, partly to the heat. She was looking for shade everywhere she could find it. And then eventually we uh, skateboarded with her on in the doggy 
backpack, right. which we've talked talk to you about, guys, about. But anyway, even with all that heat going on, we have a great show planned for you today featuring some listener voices. The story of a very bad geocaching day. Let this be a mm. warning to us all. Also, some Kentucky kayaking cachers and what they're up to. An International Geocaching Day FTF attempt that didn't go well. Yep, some first-to-find hunts and much, much more. First up, that new geocaching film in the news. Geocaching and GPS News. First up in geocaching and GPS news, we have more information about an upcoming geocaching film. And you may remember on show 721, we featured an interview with Aaron, the director of an upcoming geocaching thriller film called Left Fingers. Now we can share with you that their fundraising Indiegogo campaign has gone live. So we'll put the link in our show notes if you're interested in checking it out. And there's also a link to the teaser trailer. And the film has already been shot. So the money they're looking to raise is for post-production work and paying some of the actors, apparently. Mm. So check out the links if you're interested in helping out or just want to learn more about this project. First up in podcaster email, we heard from Get On Your Horse. All right, and they wrote us this. Regarding geocaching injuries, never been bit by a snake or fallen off a cliff, never needed rescuing, no, nothing exciting like that. Nope. Worst I got was a broken finger looking inside a newspaper box. The lid was broken and fell on my hand holding the garment. Ow. Ouch. Geocaching has exclusive injuries. Yep. Yeah. Can you imagine explaining to someone, yeah. at, you know, how you got how you got that injury? You had your hand in the newspaper box that yeah. fell on your... Oh, gosh. Okay. And we also heard from uh, Lyndon Irwin, who wrote this. My International Geocaching Day first to find attempt didn't go that well. A new geocache published about 13 miles from my house. Since I live in a county where there are not many geocaches or geocachers, I figured my chances of a first to find were pretty good. This was my first post-COVID first to find attempt. I ended up on a dirt road and came up to a logical cedar tree at ground zero. There were waist-high weeds plus poison ivy, but I trudged up through and started searching. Soon, a pickup truck drove up. It was neighboring landowners. They asked what I was doing, so I decided honesty was the best policy. At least one of them knew what Jew caching was. They asked if it was on their property, and I said it was on the right-of-way. I told them that they could help me look. They laughed, and then they left. <laughs> anyway, I resumed my search, but then got itchy, and I gave up. I logged a DNF explaining my experience. About 12 hours later... I got a note from the newbie geocache owner explaining that the geocache had been deactivated. The reason? They had not placed the container yet. <laughs> That's oh, the worst. God. And we have experienced that. Yes, we I, have. I think many caches. Well, for that have. reason, the, the first to find, you think you're going to be first to find, and the, and the container isn't even put out there yep, yet. Because they don't understand. you got to hide it first. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Next up, we have some FTF hunts shared by a couple of listeners. First, Coon and Bud. Yeah, SF and S and S says Coon and Bud from Arkansas. And I am on a uh, uh, run today uh, finding two geocachers. I just got one first to find. And now I'm going to go and try to find a second first to find. And uh, I'll call back and let you know, but the 
first one uh, was at a um, uh, an old, just a, little, a sh- very short uh, walking trail connecting the university to a, to a swim center, and um, I got it pretty easily. Um, and um, I'll hang up and. Yes, S S S and S. This is Coonan Bud back on the hunt for his second first to find of the day, and cue the music. I found it. First to find two today out here on the disc golf course, and uh, so. Uh, well, that was where the second one was. Anyway, so excited, and thanks for all you did for Jill Cashy, all of you. Thank you. Bye. All right, hey, congratulations. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go. All right, hey, next up we have some calls from Hockey Hiker 19 and Papa EGTH. Now, the first few calls we got were a little too garbled to share, but the last call shares their final result of their first to find hunt. Let's take a listen. Hey, Podcaster, um, this is Hockey Hiker 19 and Papa EGTH. And we have reached um, ground zero for GB's new challenge. Um, and we needed our super long reaching pot to access it because it was hanging about um, 30 or so. No, uh, 20. 15 or 20 feet up in the tree. So we needed it fully extended. Um, and having a magnet on the end of it helped. To attach to the wire. So Papa EGTH got it down and we are opening the log. And, and dun dun dun. Clean log. So this particular cache was placed uh, amongst other caches that Hockey Hiker 19 and I had recently placed. And GB's happened to find a basically an area where where he could sneak one in and uh otherwise we've got an area that uh that a lot of people have been coming out to because of the pandemic and it's a rather remote area um yeah i have a challenge um another contiguous counties challenge that's a tenth of a mile from this spot and and gb's did reach out to me and say hey you've got space between one of your puzzles and your challenge um are you planning to put anything out and i told him no i was done and he said well stay tuned (laughs) and then he let me know when it published but it was on a work day and since i was working from home um i couldn't take the time to come out and figured since there have been a lot of ftf hounds going after the caches that scott and i have been putting out that someone else was going to beat us to it but here it is a few days later after publishing and no one had um even posted a note to the challenge yet so we came out after doing some work around the house and we ended up being first to find so yay yay so everybody stay safe and keep on catching bye way to go congratulations all right congratulations on those first to finds You know, one of the things we love to do here at Podcaster is to share stories from geocachers from around the world. And next up, we've got a story that can be a reminder and a warning for us all. It was shared by Chihuahua Canine for Me. 
A friend and a local geocacher, Pisco Dad, from our area, posted the following story on his Facebook this morning. It's a long read, but it made me rethink sticking my hand in a hole without a pokey stick the next time I go geocaching in the woods. Now, he's found over 30,000 finds, so you'd think he'd have he'd be a little more cautious. But this story shows how relaxed we can get, forgetting when you go into the woods, there are all kind of creatures out there, and we're in their environment and need to exercise caution. I'm sharing this with permission, so hopefully others will remember to be careful out there. And once again, that came to us from listener Barbara, also known as Chihuahua Canine for me. And here's the story. On Sunday, I went up to Richmond, Virginia for a lovely day of geocaching. The weather was beautiful, and I was having a great caching day, having found 21 caches before 11 a.m. While searching for my next cache, I spied a likely-looking hole under a piece of concrete and stuck my right hand in to see if I could find the cache. What I found was, apparently, a nest of baby copperheads. Mm. I didn't stick around to make a positive ID. I knew I'd been bitten by a snake immediately, but only felt the first bite. I was about a half a mile from my car, so I booked it out of there, asking a passing cyclist the location of the nearest medical facility. I got in my car and started driving the three miles to the nearest urgent care. Unfortunately, after turning under Route 1, my eyesight got very blurry and I blacked out. I came to when I felt a bam and then another bam. Mm. I'm told that one was a pole, but the other was a vehicle ahead of me, a car with four passengers. I don't remember seeing either before or after the crash. Fortunately, no one was badly injured. I had a few scrapes and bruises and the passengers from the other car seemed to be okay. Unfortunately, my car did not fare as well. Mm -hmm. The police and an ambulance arrived pretty quickly, and I was taken to a nearby hospital. The trauma team seemed more concerned about my injuries from the crash than the snake bite. So after a CT scan, blood tests, and a bunch of other tests and treatments, it was determined I had no serious injuries. Well, except for having been bitten at least twice on my index and middle finger of my right hand by one or more copperheads. Mm -hmm. My fingers and hand had started to swell up at that point, and my hand was extremely painful. After the doctors consulted with poison control, I was admitted to the hospital for observation overnight. Since I hadn't actually seen the snakes and couldn't be sure they were copperheads, but my symptoms pointed that way, they held off giving me any anti-venom serum. Now my hand and fingers continued to swell and the pain kept getting worse. The nurses came in every couple of hours to measure my hand and were regularly in contact with poison control. At 3 a.m. they decided it was time to administer the anti-venom serum, so they put in the IV drip and almost immediately I started to get some relief from the pain. Mm. My wife Ann and daughter Ashley drove up to Richmond the next morning and went and cleaned everything out of my poor little car and took pictures to show me. Fortunately, the Ashland police had come and interviewed me the night before, and one look at my hand determined the crash was caused by a medical emergency, and I would not be charged with reckless driving. Mm. That, and knowing the occupants of the other car didn't suffer any serious injuries, was a great relief. My, my Monday morning, my affected fingers, hand, and much of my arm were extremely swollen, and the bitten fingers were looking very grotesque due to large blood blisters. Oof. Apparently, those in the medical profession find my injuries fascinating because I've had a number of doctors approach me asking if I minded them taking pictures of my hand. I'm told that it may take at least a month or more to fully recover and regain use of my hand. I'm now figuring out how to navigate the world with only one hand and my non-dominant hand at that. There are lots of challenges, but with the help of my devoted family, I'm managing. 
as you may have figured out already, typing on a computer isn't feasible at this point. How fortunate I am to have such a sweet, helpful, witty, verbose, and thoughtful wife to write my posts for me. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, we yeah. are glad that everything seems yes. to have turned out okay. You know, th- things could have been a lot worse. Yeah, And totally. it sounds like this guy is not a newbie. I mean, 30,000 fines, he knows what he's doing. But, you know, things do happen. And it's so quick, you know, that so you just quick, yeah. think, oh, that's the spot. I'll just reach in, yeah. you know, without even thinking. So a couple tips here for, for newbies who may not know. But one of the things that would have helped tremendously would have been to just geocache with another person Mm -hmm. because going alone like this i mean look we all know that sometimes you just can't help it but go on your own either there's nobody around nobody wants to go whatever and you just want to go out and find some caches you know actually there's some there's some positive things about the solitude of geocaching and i and i get that but you know if you're in a risky area and uh you know if you have a choice maybe geocaching with a partner might have been one of the things that could have prevented well, not it well, wouldn't have the other the person, right? No, the other person could have driven. But, the other person right. could have driven, and then it, at least it wouldn't have been compounded by an accident <laughs> right. on top of the uh, of the poisoning. But another thing that we thought about is a tool of the trade that might help out, and that is what we're going to talk about in the next segment. You got it. Tools of the trade. Every once in a while, we'll share our recommendation of a tool or gadget that could make your geocaching experience more effective, efficient, safe, or fun. Today's tool is an item that we often use. All three of us of Team Podcaster have one of these and use them often in our geocaching adventures. Yep. Now, the tool of the trade for this show is the humble hiking stick. Now, although a simple wooden straight stick that you find along the trail could work, you could even use an old broomstick, I guess. What we're going to recommend today uh, has some features that are a bit more versatile. Now, here are some features you might want to look for when you're considering a hiking stick for geocaching. One of the first things I look for is, is is it collapsible? And so that's one advantage you have from a straight wooden stick. Because this, you can keep in the trunk of your car, just kind of collapse down. Some actually collapse down small enough to carry in your backpack. And a lot of backpacks sometimes have straps where you can just you know put it where the water bottle holder is on the side, and that works out fine. Some some uh, walking sticks, oh, by the way, sometimes they call them uh, uh, trekking poles. Mm-hmm. Trekking poles or walking sticks. So, so if you're going to do a search, look for both of those. Some have little shock absorption features, which is kind of nice. I mean, not not essential, but it's kind of like a nice little added-on feature. A lot of them are uh, easy to customize to your height, and they quickly change to make shorter or longer. Now, sometimes you might want it shorter, like when you're going uphill, you, mm-hmm. you, you want to collapse it, or for a short person, obviously. And sometimes you want to make it as long as possible. Let's say you're trying to reach something just out of reach and try want a really long stick. Uh, you want to look at ones that have feet options, and a lot of them do. They're replaceable. Uh, yeah, you can replace them and, and change around from like rubber feet that are nice and wide and great for like gripping to carbide points. Now these are metal points that don't uh, don't wear down too easily. Carbide is a very hard uh, hard metal, and these are great for certain situations as well. Now some will allow to attach a basket. And that's kind of like one of those things that you see on uh, skiing uh, trekking poles. And it keeps it from easily poking through the snow or even just mushy grass because, you know, little hiking sticks that are uh, th- that are too thin, they, they, they tend to go through grass. Right. That's something handy to have whether you're in cold weather or not. Yep. Now, a comfortable handle is something that's on in a lot of trekking poles. You know, it's a nice, grippy, rubber, plastic type handle and a good strap. Now, I, it's hard to describe via audio how to use a strap. 
app. Maybe you can search it up, or if you want, maybe I can put a video. But if you use the strap correctly, it can take the pressure off of your hand and wrist, and you don't have to like grip tight the the handle the entire time and you know you, you don't you won't get as fatigued as easily it's you're also less likely to drop it just in case and also what i have found handy is you can purposely just drop the stick let it hang and you can free up your uh hand quickly without having to put the stick down now some actually a lot of the ones i've seen allow a mount to a camera or binoculars it's got just a simple thread that you can put into the, uh, the the socket of the of the camera and you can use it as a monopod to steady your shot in dim light or you can set a timer on your camera hoist it way up high and get a nice elevated shot it's pretty cool you uh, hiking stick is great because it helps steady your footing on uneven trails it's kind of like you're carrying your own portable handrail <laughs> um, this is also great for water crossings which we learned when we were doing the narrows right uh-huh it, so uh, as you're crossing water if you need to do that it's it's just something else you can put under the water and helps you stay steady it also helps going up and surprisingly coming down a steep hill so when you're going up like we said shorten it a little bit and you can use it as just a little bit more leverage and when you're coming down you can kind of slow down your pace and take a little bit of weight off your knees now as far as animal encounters it might not help you against like a a charging grizzly (laughs) probably not (laughs) but it actually might be just what you need to thwart an unruly raccoon in a pinch i mean if you can just use any long stick and if you already have in your hand that's good uh hiking sticks we found are great for poking around prickly bushes and there's a lot of them here in in san diego where Mm -hmm. you just kind of want to look under the bush and you just use it to kind of move it slightly off to the side and also sticking into dark holes as we just heard uh, before you actually put your hand in there another thing you can do is personalize your your stick you can put geocaching stickers or maybe national park stickers and kind of show off your adventurous spirit i remember do you remember that time i think it was at zion maybe we were on a bus yeah and we thought somebody was a geocacher well i saw either she had something on her that told me she might be a geocacher i wasn't sure something on her backpack i think yeah man might have been something on her backpack but i wasn't sure and we were just sitting sort of across from each other so she was faced in my direction and what i did was i knew my hiking stick had a geocaching sticker i, I kind of twisted in a way so she could see it and sure enough it caught her eye and uh, i kind of got that knowing smile like oh you're a geocacher too <laughs> yeah now they're not that expensive for under 30 dollars. You, you can often get a pair which you can use together like we said trekking poles or give one to a friend we're going to put some links on our show notes uh, to some hiking sticks and trekking poles and do us a big favor if you ever choose to buy anything at all from amazon please get there first by going through a link that we can give you once you're in amazon via our link shop around like you usually would but now anything you purchase can help us out your item won't cost you a penny more but because you used our link amazon will send us a small percentage of your purchase price uh, which was help support this show and thank you very much you're enjoying the geocaching content we bring you on the show we work hard to collect curate and cultivate relevant geocaching goodness to you in a package that's entertaining and inspiring 
We love what we do, but one of the only reasons that we've been able to continue producing the longest running podcast about geocaching is because of our Podcaster Club members. Yep. Now, these listeners, just like you, have decided, hey, this is one podcast I want to make sure keeps on creating. Podcaster adds value to their geocaching lifestyle, and, is, and it's important enough to pitch in eh, the cost of a couple of fancy Starbucks drinks a month to make sure that we can continue to deliver timely, interesting, and relevant content and be a geocaching resource that you can count on and trust. Now, step up and become a Podcaster Club member. We've got lots of perks, and you can geocache with pride knowing you're part of the select listeners who make this podcast possible. Find out more and join the Podcaster Club at podcaster.com slash club. Next up, we have some geocaching stories shared about something that is really attractive to me. I mean, when I heard this and saw the pictures, man, I would love (laughs) to go out and do something like this. And this came to us from Sherpa Ron, who wrote and said, Hello, podcaster crew. Hope all is well in sunny San Diego. I just wanted to drop you a note to let you know how some of us Kentucky kayaking cachers have spent our COVID-19 summer. Now, did you realize that outside of Alaska, Kentucky has more miles of running water than any other state in the U.S.? Wow. I did not know that. I did not know that. So it shouldn't be surprising to learn that Kentucky leads the U.S. in the number of five terrain caches, most of which are paddle caches along our rivers, creeks, and lakes. We currently have nearly 2,000 of these with out there waiting for the next cacher to paddle up. Nice. An example of our fondness for paddle caches is what has happened this summer along the shores of Harrington Lake in central Kentucky. On May 23rd, about 20 caches were published on the lake, hidden by Kathy's Geek. These were the first caches to be placed on the lake. It didn't take long for about 10 of us cachers to convene at the nearest launching site and head out to hunt them down. With geocaching events being put on hold because of COVID-19, this was a great way to meet up with friends, but still socially distance ourselves out on the lake in our kayaks. Nice, nice. Well, with 325 miles of shoreline, there were lots more room for caches. So we spent the next month not only hunting caches, but hiding them as well. By the end of June, thanks to 13 faithful kayak cachers, there are now nearly 500 caches on the lake. Cache types include regulars, multis, puzzles, where I goes, letterboxes, earth caches, and even a couple of events once things opened up a bit. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for a great great way to spend a day or a week on the water, pack the yak and head to Kentucky. (laughs) Geocachers hiding caches on the lake include Bun Run, Dewo, Fit to be Tied, Ground Fox, LB Lucky KY, Kentucky, Kathy's Geek, Little Al, MAB3, Oopsie Daisy, Team Conway, UK Hoops fan, and myself, Sherpa Ron. With special thanks to our great reviewers, Green Minds and Dr. Teeth, who are both paddle cashers as well. Happy caching, and that came from Sherpa Ron. Yeah. Doesn't that sound fun? You've (laughs) got to take a look at the images Mm because it shows where they're kayaking and then a couple where they're all just kind of floating, maybe having lunch and just hanging out. Right. And then it shows uh, some uh, screenshots of what these waterways and rivers look like, and they are loaded with caches. Oh, my gosh. It looks so good. The whole way down, the rivers and the lakes and both sides. I mean, it just looks like an amazing place to go. And, you know, I mean, in order to access them, you're going to need to have something like a kayak or a canoe or something to get out there. So they're not going to be 
as easily gotten to and right. they're a little bit more elite, right? Oh, that looks so like so, especially on a hot day like today. I know. Doesn't it sound like <laughs> it would be great? Great. Yeah, yeah. We don't have rivers like that out here in San Diego. We've no. got bays and and you know the ocean, obviously, but it's just not the same. Yeah. You know, out, out of all the places we've heard to go geocaching, and there's a lot. I mean, there's places uh, in in other countries. I definitely would love to go to. There's places in the United States. You know, then there's the uh, gadget trail that's uh, WV Tim has put together. But mm-hmm. this would be one of them, right? I mm-hmm. would love to just go out there and do a lot of ca- kayaking day after day and finding caches. That'd be great. Oh, and by the way, uh, we do have two plastic kayaks. One's a sit-in, a single mm-hmm. sit-in, and, and, and then a tandem sit-on-top. And they're large plastic ones, but uh, they can be a little bit cumbersome and, mm-hmm. and hard to mount. Heavy. <laughs> they're heavy, yeah. <laughs> Actually, the the tandem one is sort of like a barge. It is it so is hard to get. It is a beast. Car. Yeah, yeah. But we just ordered a relatively inexpensive, but looks like it's going to be a good quality inflatable kayak. Mm-hmm. So uh, and it's got great reviews, and we're waiting for it to arrive. But it looks like it's something that we could just once it's deflated, it'll fit in the trunk or the rear area, cargo area of our car. And then once we get there, we can inflate it and get going. Then we can take the single kayak plus the inflatable tandem one and all three of us can get out there. and all, all three of us mm-hmm. can get out there look for geocache etc and we're going to talk about that on a future tool of the trade podcaster games and contest here at podcaster we love to play games and contests that gives you opportunities to win groovalicious swag Now, in addition to our fall 2020 promotion for new club members, and you can get the details at podcaster.com slash club offer 2020, we have another giveaway we're doing for two trackables from Cash Tour donated by Wendy, Wendy, also known as Twilair. And to enter a drawing to win one of the trackables, you just have to record an intro for the show. Yep. And the intro sounds like this. Hi, this is your caching name from your location, and you are listening to Podcaster. So it would be like, hi, this is Captain America from Brooklyn, New York, and you're listening to Podcaster. I like that. That's good. (laughs) You can record it on your smartphone and email it to us, or you can call it into our hotline at 760-300-3633. Another easy way to use is to use SpeakPipe, which you can find at podcaster.com slash speak. And you can send us intros anytime, but in order to get into the drawing, uh, we need to hear from you by September 4th. Geocaching Milestones. Here at Podcaster, we love to celebrate milestones and achievements of geocachers from all around the world. And we saw on Facebook that Minnesota Boy recently hit a great milestone. He posted, geocaching has been a fun hobby for over 10 years. Today I found my 5,000th cache. Gravity Bear joined me today as he has on many of my finds, and I chose a cache with a fire-breathing dragon for this special occasion. And this is a cool cache. This is called Rusty the Dragon. I checked it out. And look at at the photos in our show notes or on the cache page. Rusty the Dragon. And here's what it says. Come check out Rusty the Fire-Breathing Dragon. He's hard to miss. There's a logbook right next to him with a rusty bookmark that you can take when you visit. You have to drive up a driveway to see Rusty blow fire. I own the land Rusty the Dragon is on, and you have my my permission to come. Created by a retired machinist who had never made anything like this before, when the owner was looking for a name, the creator suggested Rusty. The owner didn't think that was sounded very elegant, but the creator said, I don't care what you call it, but in a year it will be Rusty. (laughs) The name stuck. Get this. Rusty is 10 feet tall. 
14 feet long and covered with metal scales. Mm -hmm. It says he is surrounded by bones of Norwegians who got a little too close when Rusty was hungry. (laughs) Dragons do not eat Finlanders, though. They taste too bitter. (laughs) One of a kind, (laughs) made by hand, fire-breathing dragon. So we'll put a link on our show notes. You should definitely check it out. You got to check it out. When Mm -hmm. I first saw it, I thought that fire was like photoshopped in or something, but it's apparently apparently a fire-breathing dragon. Yeah. I wonder how they got that to work. All right. Hey, well, thank you for that milestone. That is a great milestone. Certainly worth celebrating. So let's go ahead and call in the podcaster studio audience and let's celebrate with them. theme song means we are done with the geocaching goodness at least for today's show and it's now time for a quick sean update well the official start of seventh grade was this past thursday yep and as many people are doing around mm-hmm. the country we've started with distance learning and we always take a picture of sean on the first day of school mm-hmm. when he goes to um, in person to school yeah. with a backpack on and fully dressed with tennis shoes and everything and his lunchbox yeah well, this time we took a picture of him in just his casual clothes and flip-flops and holding his Chromebook. <laughs> his distance Chromebook. Because <laughs> he doesn't need a backpack or a lunchbox, at least not right now, yeah. uh, just a Chromebook. So we're just starting that way and yeah. hopefully gets better down the road. Well, and we started taking these pictures when he was in kindergarten. Uh-huh. So now we have eight of them. We take him by the banister. Yeah, we've got a banister in our house. You can see how he's, how he's growing and, and it's getting a, taller. It's a good, you know, eventually it's, he's going to out... Because I frame it the same way every year, uh-huh. but eventually he's going to go beyond the frame of the of, of the current frame anyway. You'll have and to it, redo the frame. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's going to, and you can see. So that's that's what that's eight years. Eight years from kindergarten, and and it's amazing, guys. And for those of you who have kids, you know this. And he's not done yet. Right. But the amount of growth over from the time he was four, five years old, six, all the way to now he's twelve. Is impre- and you can see his body just you know he's lengthening out mm-hmm. he's he's, got, he's lost a lot of that baby fat obviously yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah he's a he's a he's a twelve year old kid now so interesting yeah. we can put that picture if you want to go check it out and you can check out our banister as well <laughs> all right guys that's going to do it for today's show thank you once again for coming back and listening to the podcast here we really do appreciate you being part of the community we we get so much from people out there that we're able to share with you guys and uh, please do us a big favor if you enjoy what we're bringing tell other geocachers about the geocaching goodness we bring you guys each and every week all right stay safe so that someday when we get through this all of us can keep on caching bye well that's it for the show today we hope you enjoyed it make sure to visit our website at podcaster.com you'll find our show notes useful links and tons of resources we always love to hear from you our email is podcaster at gmail.com you can also call the podcaster hotline at 760-300-3633 find out all the ways you can contact us at podcaster.com slash contact Till next time, stay safe and keep on cashing.